Greetings and welcome to episode 17 of the Old Patrol HQ podcast. I'm your host, Gil Maza. This podcast is dedicated to celebrating and preserving the history, heritage, and legacy of the Old Patrol through the words of those who lived it, with a few shenanigans along the way. Today, we will be interviewing retired patrol agent in charge of the Buffalo, New York station, Richard Maurer, alumni out of session 83 in Los Fresnos. Take a walk with us through the pages of Border Patrol history. Wait till you hear how things were back in the old patrol. Cause there ain't no patrol like the old patrol. Honor first, honor always. Greetings, sir, and welcome to the Old Patrol HQ podcast. Thank you, Gil. Uh, I'm glad to have you on the podcast today, and uh, I want to start out, first of all, by um, just asking you how you got started in the patrol. Well, um, you know, back in, uh, I took the exam the first time back in uh, 62. And I passed it and uh, was on the list to be hired and uh, there was some kind of a hiring freeze that year and the list ran out and uh, I had to retake it the next year and uh, of course I passed it again and uh, and that year I got hired. Okay. And uh, I know I was working a job here in the Buffalo area and uh, I had been offered a nice promotion in the place. And I told the sales manager there that uh, I couldn't accept it at that point because I was going to go in the Border Patrol. And, uh, of course, then that first year I didn't get hired. And uh, he looked at me uh, for a whole year kind of sideways, wondering, (laughs) you know, why I turned him down. But I finally got hired and uh, was in the 83rd session. Starting in uh, December of '64. Wow, December '64. That was um, I, that was the year I was born. Is that, is that right? Well, <laughs> you know, that was a good year, right? That's a good year, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what was um, what was the academy like for you there in Los Fresnos? Well, it. Uh, you know, it was kind of a funny thing. We got out, when I uh, got hired, I got the telegram, of course. I had just gotten back, uh, the day I got back from my honeymoon, uh, my mother had called me and said, oh, you got a telegram over here. So I went and got it and found out that I uh, had to report to El Centro. And, uh, you know, like I say, we had just gotten married. Well, I left my wife here and drove out there and and then uh, we worked uh, we worked for about five weeks in Calexico before they sent us down to the academy and uh, you know the way that went was uh, the first day uh, the first day we reported into El Centro for the orientation type work and the second day I think they put us on a bus that took us over to San Diego to uh, buy uniforms and Boots and hats and coats and you know whatever. Did, did that and, come out of uh, your own pocket? You're breaking up. I can't understand you. I'm sorry. I was going to ask you. Did, did the uniforms come out of pocket? Oh, absolutely. I spent about I spent about four hundred dollars that day, which back yeah. in uh, 1964 
Yeah. Was a small fortune for me, you know. And uh, uh, so we got our uniforms and back over to Calexico. And I think the third day, third and fourth day, I think they had us out working with journeymen. Well, then by the end of that week, <coughs> they put us in a they put us in our own vehicles and we went to work like. Uh, you know, they they must have issued us a, a badge. I can't I can't hardly remember, but I'm sure they issued us a badge, and I'm sure they issued us a firearm. <laughs> and um, we went out and worked like board patrol agents, and I did that for oh, about five weeks before they sent us down to the academy and uh, towards the end of January. Wow, that that's amazing. That that's a baptism by fire, isn't it? Well, you know, it certainly was. I remember, uh, you know, the first time I went out to the West Desert in Calexico, uh, the, the journeyman said, well, you know, stay on the drag road and uh, go out to the tree line and turn around and come back. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I just kept going because it turns out the trees were about eight foot tall, you know, and that to me that wasn't a tree, but... <laughs> so I kind of got lost the first time I was out there, but uh, it was a it was a wonderful job right from the start. And in that five weeks that we were before we went to the academy, you know, they gave us uh, they showed us the basics of uh, sign cutting and uh, you know got well acquainted with the area that we were going to be working in stuff like that mm -hmm. and uh, uh, so it was just uh, it was just amazing I remember uh, you know they put you in a four-wheel drive uh, international scout and turn you loose in the desert and you say oh my god am I going to get paid for this too you know <laughs> yes <laughs> I've had that feeling myself yeah and uh, did did you end up um, making some apps and or, or you know or catching dope or anything before you even went to the academy? Well, you know, back in uh, back in '64, there wasn't uh, there really wasn't much dope around. Okay. Uh, you know, it, uh, that wasn't something that we encountered. Uh, you know, there was a little bit here and there, but uh, right in Calexico, I can't recall. I can't recall making uh, any kind of a narcotics case. Okay. I think the first time uh, any of us ever saw uh, marijuana was uh, one night a, a paper bag come sailing over the fence in town, and somebody tried to, you know, made a dash to pick it up, and we grabbed them, and uh, and uh, you know we had a bag of marijuana. Well, you know that. Yeah, <laughs> that was no big deal. It certainly wasn't a big deal next next to what was going to come a few years later when they were getting tons of it. You know. Yes, yes. The only time I saw that was when I was detailed out to Nogales. They used to, they used to put us on X's right along the fence, and we'd see you know football sized uh, you know projectiles come from from south of the border. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what this was. Uh, uh, but it was a little paper bag full of it. You mm, know. Mm -hmm. And so then, so, uh, off to the academy you went, and um, how was that for you? Well, the academy was, uh, you know, I was a young guy. I was, uh, let's see, the first time I took the test, I think I was uh, 21, 22 maybe. 
And uh, so by the time I got to the academy, I think I was 23 years old. And, uh, you know, I was in good shape. I was, uh, I'd been an athlete in high school. I ran cross country. I played, played uh, you know, high school baseball. And I played hockey uh, on my own uh, up here in Buffalo. And, uh, you know, so I was an athlete. So, you know, I could, I could do the running and the physical end of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we had some older guys in our class that struggled with it, but that wasn't a problem that I had. Oh, well, good, good. And uh, what about the Spanish? Well, uh, you know, I hear you got a slug from up north, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I remember the first time I went to a restaurant, I ordered tacos, and they didn't know what I was talking about, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I went from knowing absolutely nothing about Spanish to, uh, uh, you know, to where I felt like I got fairly proficient in five years down there. Yeah, yeah. So you uh, obviously you you, you 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 survived the academy. You made it through. You went back to Calexico, I'm assuming. And uh... yeah, I, I, like I say, I uh, I worked in Calexico for a little over three years, I guess. And uh, you know, just love the work. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, I took to the tracking. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it was. Uh, uh, however, there weren't a lot of apprehensions back then either. I mean, I think we had uh, 60 agents, uh, inspectors we were called at the time, yeah, immigration right. patrol inspectors. Mm-hmm. We had about 60 uh, PIs in uh, Calexico, and they were broken up into uh, four units, uh, uh, you know, 10 or, 10 or 11 guys in a unit run by uh, uh, a station senior, a senior inspector, mm-hmm. and uh, they all had the, the most the most uh, uh, journeyman that you had. The longest tenured journeyman that you had was called the unit segundo, and uh, he kind of he kind of run the uh, the unit when the when the senior wasn't around, and. Uh, you know, I worked for a guy named uh, Dick McCauley. It was the was the it was the senior, and uh, Segundo was uh, a fellow by the name of Don Schultz. And uh, you know, you were assigned the uh, two units worked four to twelves, one on the east side of the of the port, and the other on the west side of the port. And you had everything from the port out to the mountains. And uh, going the other way, you had everything from the port out to the east end of the uh, All-American Canal. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were several drops out there, you know, uh, um, uh, water control facilities coming over the canal. And, uh, you know, you just... Stayed in, stayed in the vehicle, and used your your uh, sign cutting light on the back of your bumper, and uh, and you could go along and sign cut all the uh, all the sand traps that we had set up out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what you did from uh, the time you come on until dark. Was you got all your sand traps raked out fresh. 
outside on them all night long, and uh, so you got crossers. And uh, you know, generally 11, 11:30 at night is when it all start happening, and then you chase all night long, three, four o'clock in the morning, almost every every night. <laughs> yeah. And so that that kind of work was predominantly what was happening there in Calexico. Yeah. So yeah, it was all sign cutting uh, and uh, line work. Sir, do you remember uh, uh, the names of the guys that you were working alongside? Some of them? Oh, sure, I remember. <laughs> sure, I remember a whole bunch of them. Uh, uh, like I say, Don Schultz and uh, Bill Howell was another guy in that unit, and Jim Montgomery and Rick Mather and uh, Rip Rapaski, Charlie Matt Porter. Mm hmm. Whole bunch of guys. I remember. I remember quite a few of them. Ah, yeah. The other seniors in that in that station was uh, Eddie McNabb and uh, Jim Burns and uh, uh, the 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 station was run by uh, Tom Carnes, who uh, was only referred to as Mister Carnes. <laughs> and and the station Segundo was a premier tracker by the name of Neil Novak. Mm. And Novak had, uh, you know, just a terrific reputation uh, for tracking. And, uh, you know, so. Yeah. And so any, uh, did you join, end up getting on any special units or uh, did you just, is that, was it pretty much uh, line watch work uh, the whole time you were in Calexico? Uh, no, it's pretty much, uh, pretty much line watch all the while I was there. I mean, we had, we did have a city patrol unit, mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, you did it on a rotation. I caught it once or twice is all, all the while I was there for a two week period. But, uh, you know, the rest of it was, uh, in the month, you'd catch two weeks, uh, four weeks of uh, afternoons, uh, two weeks of midnights, and two weeks of days. And, uh, you know, you, you know, the schedule, the, the way it come out, I mean, there was always uh, a unit coming off midnights, and uh, the tradition out there was... Uh, Whatever unit was coming off midnights, they would uh, finish up on, uh, let me see, Thursday morning. They'd, they'd get a four-day weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And it was up to them to uh, host the uh, the uh, weekend party up at the uh, pistol range, oh. an old Adobe pistol range. And, uh, you know, they'd be responsible for... Uh, carne asada and rolls and salad and beer and and uh, you know we had a good time we uh, you know always get together for parties out there and it was a good bunch of guys yeah and uh, that's become kind of a lost um a lost start in the patrol is that right yeah a little bit well, you know, uh, nowadays it's you know it, well, back in the day it was very uncomplicated right uh uh, everybody got their DUIs like a man and, and took it like a man and all that, but uh, now they, everything is so um, 
it, it, it just uh, you'll get it's too much trouble. It's just it's not it's almost not worth it. But we still get together. You know, a lot of people we still try to get to, to do stuff like that. But it's yeah. not like it was back well, in the this day. Was, this was a uh, like I say, we used to go to this old Adobe uh, pistol range there in Buffalo in uh, in Calexico, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it was always with the wives, and everybody would be dressed to the nines. I mean, the women that being dresses and the guys all wear suit and ties. I mean, it was just something kind of amazing, you know. Oh, okay. So it was a little more, it was a little nicer than just getting together just on the fly. You guys were actually planning and preparing, the, you know, these these uh, these events. Oh yeah, and the food was the food was was incredible. You know, it was always carne asada, and uh, you know, it was just uh, just a great meal and a good time. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we definitely need more of that in the patrol now, that's for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, back then, uh, I think there was only like uh, 1,600 agents in the whole border patrol. Mm-hmm. Northern border and southern border, 1,600 agents. And, uh, you know, you really uh, got to the point where uh, when you went on a detail someplace, you'd, you'd know the other people that were coming in from other stations. And, yeah. and if, you, if, if you didn't know them or were meeting them the first time, uh, you'd learn in talking that you knew everybody that they were working with. It was just a small organization, and uh, people knew one another. Yeah. And yeah, the other thing was that we used to get a... Uh, Quarterly, uh, like a, a, a newsletter, quarterly, mm-hmm. and uh, in this newsletter, it was called the INS Reporter, I think, and in this newsletter, you would get notified, they would have listings of every transfer, who, got, who uh, moved from where to where, every promotion, who got promoted to senior, who got promoted to I.I., who uh, became an investigator, yeah. where they went, and, uh, it, you know, who won awards, who got an outstanding, who got an SSP, you know, and you were able to keep up with, uh, with uh, you know, occurrences like that all over the service, mm-hmm. all over the country. And it was, uh, you know, it, it was a tight group, really tight. Yeah, that's that is still a good the good thing about the patrol is that no matter where you go, you go on detail, you go to a training, you travel somewhere, you'll always see somebody you know in the in there, you know. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're asking about guys that I worked with out there. Mm-hmm. There was one guy who was kind of an old timer when I was there, and by an old timer I mean, you know, where I had zero years, he had probably fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. And he was a uh, he was a, a terminal PI. I mean, he wasn't going any place, and his name was Bill Fister, and we used to call him the Fist. <laughs> and uh, he supposedly was back down in Calexico on a uh, disciplinary transfer and he had uh, he had apparently fought a, uh, a supervisor up in Fresno 
the parking lot, and uh, and the discipline that they gave him was they transferred him down back down to Calexico. Mm. And uh, you know he was kind of a gnarly old guy. <laughs> that uh, even on the best of days, I mean, you kind of you kind of give him uh, give him his uh, his own space. Yeah. And. Uh, and he was a good worker as long as as long as somebody uh, told him what to do, you know. He, <laughs> yeah. And I was on probation, so I certainly wasn't telling him what to do. Yeah. But I went up to the, I caught a detail with him uh, uh, way up on S2, which is a mountain road going up out of Ocotillo, California, up towards L.A. Mm -hmm. And uh, And the only people that were on this road... When you got to the top of the mountain, you could see back down to the valley, and uh, we had a traffic checkpoint up there, and uh, the only people that come up that road was either tourists that were lost or smugglers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you caught your eight hours up there, and, uh, and uh, you know, you got relieved. We held that checkpoint 24 hours a day for a long time. And uh, when you worked with Bill up there, he used to he used to take his lunch in a uh, in a shopping bag, and uh, he'd start. And he was a skinny guy. He must have had the metabolism of a of a of a, uh, a bird, you know, because he'd start eating when he got there, and he'd eat for about six hours straight, you know, and he had soup and sandwiches and fruit. And a gallon of coffee, and <laughs> <laughs> he was amazing for his lunches. Oh yeah. And so, do you remember any um, any good stories or something really uh, you know uh, incredible happened to you out there near Mrs. Well, I, you know, I remember stuff like uh, uh, you know every vehicle that when you went out to work you had to have. Uh, uh, a rake, of course. Everybody carried a rake, and uh, most most guys tried to have a chain. I mean, every once in a while, you'd have to go and pull somebody out of some really soft sand or something. Yes. And so a rake and a chain, and uh, and and we had these army surplus uh, old army blankets, and we had a lot of army surplus stuff. I remember one time. Uh, we got a uh, we got a whole flat of uh, batteries, D cell batteries, and they were all like World War Two. I mean, you know, this is only ten years after World War Two, right? Yes. Uh, I guess twenty years in, and uh, but these were all uh, Army surplus, and I mean, they wouldn't even make your light flicker. <laughs> and pretty soon they were they all got thrown away but uh but in, in with uh, extra batteries and your tricky bag everybody also carried a surplus army blanket mm -hmm. and what happened was you know you would sign cutting until you cut somebody going into the field and uh, nobody could get them coming out of the field so you knew that they were out there laying down so you had to get out and walk them out and uh, just about step on them before you could 
they'd, they'd get up, uh, you know, for, for laying in the crop, whatever yeah. crop it was. And uh, so when you did that, you always took an army blanket and wrapped it around you when you were going out there because every place you looked with your light, there were skunks. And uh, you didn't want to take a chance on, on uh, yeah, I mean, if you did get sprayed, you didn't want to lose your uniform because you had to pay for it yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. if, you got, if you got the blanket sprayed, well, you just dropped it where it was and went on. But, uh, you know, I remember that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I know, you know, talking about uh, raking, I remember the first time I went out to the, uh, to the checks, I looked at it and it was about a, a half an acre of a rake area on the north side of the of the uh, drop on the All-American Canal. Mm -hmm. and it was all raked real clean. I thought, wow, these guys really take care of this. Well, it turns out that was our job. We did all that raking. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know if they did it the same way in every sector, but it was like uh, it was like an art form to rake out there in Calexico. Oh yeah, that's uh, like a good drag. Yeah, and the only other thing I, I remember uh, too was uh, we had one area out there where the uh, Alamo River, when they uh, put that All American Canal in. There was a river that come across there from uh, Mexico, and uh, they actually run it in big tubes underneath the All-American Canal. And so, uh, and these tubes were big enough to walk through. Oh. So you had to get down, uh, you had to get down, there was a hole where they come out probably 20 foot in the ground and followed the Alamo River. Well, that was a real wet area, and it was kind of a, it was kind of known as a snake area, you know, down in there. But you had to get down in there and uh, rake out the trap coming out of those, out of those tubes so you can check it during the shift, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we had a, a young guy out there from Texas, uh, Charlie Mac Porter, who has... You know, rest in peace, he passed away a few years ago. Oh. But Charlie Mack had killed a, a rattler out there and threw it up on top and left it coiled up on the <laughs> on the path that went back to where we had a ladder to get down in that hole. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the first few guys that walked up on it almost ended up falling in the hole. And that was one of them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and so um, we talked earlier about the fact that uh, after you had uh, worked your first three years in Calexico, you you moved on to Indio. I went up to Indio, California, and that was uh, that was a great place. And I got uh, I got a few stories I'd like to tell you about Indio. I'm ready. Uh, Indio was uh, run by uh, uh, Station Senior by the name of Roger Stout. And Stout went on to be, uh, I think, the chief patrol agent down in Laredo okay. later on. But uh, this was a man 
that uh, he looked like a million bucks in a uniform. I mean, he's tall and thin, and, you know, his uniform was always impeccable. He looked just wonderful. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he had a, he ran a really tight ship. I mean, he was, he was hard, but he was fair with everybody, you know? Yeah. And uh, uh, back in the day, they uh, started a program down in uh, El Centro, and they called it the uh, Testigo Program. And what they what it was was uh, they were getting these uh, smuggling loads at the traffic checkpoints, and uh, they would they would put the uh, the witnesses. Uh, do, you, do you mind if I use the term wets? Not at all. I mean, that, to, my, to me, that's not derogatory. I mean, we, you know, it yeah. just wasn't a derogatory term, but that's the term that they would put the wets uh, out to work in the, in the uh, Coachella Valley. And uh, they'd let them work until uh, trial. Mm -hmm. And then uh, comes the trial, they'd go out and get them and bring them in for the trial, generally, generally down in uh, San Diego. But in any event, uh, this Testigo program, at one point there was like 700 of these guys working in uh, Coachella Valley, wets out of smuggling loads. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and who watched them was the, uh, the uh, let's see, what did we call them back then? This is the... Uh, the, the supervisors, you know, the, uh, uh, labor contractors. Okay. And, uh, you know, they got, uh, they got a stipend from the government for keeping track of these guys. Uh, I'm sure that they, uh, charged them for, uh, you know, meals. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they charged them for room and board. I mean... These guys, these these labor contractors, uh, they they thought they died and went to heaven. They were getting all this government money all of a sudden. Well, they started thinking that uh, you know they they were the friends of the border patrol. Well, you know, labor contractors. We used to look at them as uh, uh, probable and potential smugglers. That was the reputation back then. That's who was doing the smuggling was labor contractors. Yeah. And uh, so, but now with uh, with these testigos, they had all kinds of of help, work, uh, you know, working for them that they could farm out to to uh, different ranchers and farmers down there. And uh, so I know at one point, uh, one day, they uh, we come into work at six o'clock, and here's all this fruit and vegetables and bushel baskets full of it at the back door. You know, with a note from, you know, uh, this or that labor contractor. I can't remember any names anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Stout comes in and he sees that and he has a fit. And he calls the guy up and he tells him, get over here and get this stuff and get it out of here and I don't ever want to know that you're giving these, you know, offering these agents ever again anything. See now, that story, uh, back 
in uh, about 2009, the borderline ran a, uh, a little uh, advertisement in the newsletter asking, asking uh, you know, retired agents if they can recall incidents of uh, integrity, mm -hmm. the demonstrations of integrity, that they could... Uh, relate to trainees down at the Border Patrol Academy. So I wrote that up and I said, you know, and, you know, Roger Stott had integrity coming out of his ears. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was one example of it. I mean, you know, none of us had anything to do with, uh, with placing these testigos and, uh, uh, you know, we certainly weren't benefiting from any of that and uh, you know a few a few melons or heads of lettuce or something like that is one thing but uh roger uh roger stout's message to all of us was uh we're not gonna ever appear to be beholden to these these labor contractors mm -hmm. so uh no you're not taking anything from them which is all right that was his right to say that and uh, and that was the right thing to do yeah and uh so I said, there's an example of integrity as far as I was concerned, because I learned something from it. And the other thing was, uh, the one day, you know, the, the Indio Dape Festival has a national a national horse show when they have the Dape Festival, festival on up there. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> Roger uh, called us together one afternoon. And he says, I got information, uh, you know, that there's a couple of horse owners up there that got some uh, wet grooms and exercise boys and what have you working for him. He says, I want you six guys in here at 5 o'clock in the morning and we're going to go up there and clean them out. So we met at 6 and was up there at the crack of dawn and we got, uh, I think we made 18 arrests. And, uh, you know, transported them back down to the station, and now we got to do the processing. Well, the yeah. phone starts ringing, and uh, Ronald Reagan was the governor at the time. And uh, Reagan's office was calling, and the major media was calling, and the congressmen were calling, and the senators were calling, and uh, the, uh, the town... Uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, accused us of trying to sabotage the date festival, and uh, <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> and uh, you know Roger fielded all the calls. He was on the phone all day long, so we're processing, and then we're waiting for the bus to come up from El Centro to take our aliens down to the camp. Yeah, and uh, about four o'clock that day. Roger comes out of his office and he says to us, uh, you know, he says they need another visit up there at the date festival. He says, uh, you guys be in at five, five o'clock in the morning. So we showed up at five o'clock in the morning, went up there and got about 15 or 16 more. Jeez. And uh, that day, the phone didn't ring. Nobody, <laughs> nobody <laughs> called to complain. I guess they were afraid, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Roger just didn't bend the pressure. I mean, he uh, he knew he was right. And, uh, and uh, you know, by God. And he was quite a guy to work for. I mean, I I saw a lot in watching what, he, what Roger did. And, uh, you know, one time I went to a... Uh, 
Super Bowl convention, Oklahoma City or someplace, I can't recall, and who's there but Roger and his wife, and I hadn't seen them in 10, 12, 15 years, something like that. Oh. And, uh, you know, and he remembered me, and I sat down with him, and I told him both those stories. And he, he just loved it. He said, oh, thank you. He said, that means a lot to me, you know. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I guess about six, seven years ago he passed. Yeah, you know what? It's so refreshing to hear about management standing up to the... Uh you know, to uh, all those people doing, you know, doing what's right, and it just, uh, it just feels good to know that those guys are really, you know, they were, they were fighting for doing the right thing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They, uh, uh, you know, they, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite an operation. You got time for another story from Indio? Absolutely. I uh, worked with another senior up there. Uh, by the name of Wenton Tennant. And uh, Wenton Tennant was, uh, must have had well over 20 years in the Border Patrol at this time. He was getting up towards retirement. And uh, we, we used to call him Mr. Five by Five because he was five foot tall and five foot wide. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, we always said when, when somebody called him for a radio check and he said five by he was describing himself. Oh, so, so, but in any event, uh, Tennant was a, a pistol shooter. He was one of the top shots. And uh, just before I got up there, Tennant was running a, a quarterly qualification up there. And he went to open a, uh, a box of ammunition. Yeah. And you know how they have those big staples in the in the those boxes? I don't know if they still do, but they used to have big metal staples in the boxes. Mm -hmm. And he got hold of the inner the inner sides of the of the cover and just pulled the opened it up and one of them staples flew up and hit him right in the eye. Oh. And it was his uh, you know, it was his shooting eye, so he was lucky he saved the sight in his eye, but his shooting days were uh was long gone. So, tenant, when you tenant used to work, uh, yeah, I mean they would go out and work with the agents, just like, just like you had a partner. You'd you'd be teamed up with a uh, uh, with one of the seniors, and you go out and work. Mm -hmm. And he worked city patrol, and he worked bus check in Indio. And the but one of the big uh, the, the big activities we had there was freight train check. And they, you know, you had probably uh, 20 trains a day coming from, uh, no, you know, El Paso through Yuma, right along the border, <coughs> and going up into Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Well, in uh, <coughs> in Indio, there was a big yard, a uh, rail yard in Indio, <coughs> and these trains all had to pull into it. And uh, where they would stop, they would change crews. So you'd have about five minutes of, uh, of a train stop dead in Indio, be it a passenger train or a freight train. And back then, there were more people riding the freight trains than there were riding the, uh, the, the passenger trains. Mm. And uh, so, but like I say, Tennant and 
work to the train yard because he couldn't get up in the train anyhow. Yeah. But one night, because of a scheduling, uh, uh, somebody switched shifts. Tennant ended up working with uh, uh, the guy that worked straight midnights up there on freight train check, a guy by the name of Ralph Shaw. And Ralph was a young guy, very athletic, very talented, <coughs> really a good officer. And uh, and and that's what that's what he worked steady was freight train checks on midnights. <coughs> and. Uh, during the, let me see, during the fall of the year, we were getting a lot of uh, sugar beet trains mm-hmm. coming out of Texas and, uh, you know, El Paso and Yuma and coming up to Los Angeles. And these wets would get on the trains over in El Paso and Yuma, and uh, they would burrow down into the uh, sugar beets and get nice and comfortable and ride the train all the way to L.A. Yeah. And uh, how you found them was uh, where the train had to start slowing down to go into the yards in Indio was called the Blythe Crossing. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a big tower that <clears throat> you, you, you'd you have one agent get up on top where he could look down into the cars and the other agent would be down below and if he saw a flash of color and knew that there were wets in the car, He'd uh, flash the flashlight at the guy down below, and he'd clamber up on the car and make the arrest, you know. Yeah. So this one night, uh, like I say, uh, Tennant only worked with Shaw one time that I know about. And, uh, of course, Shaw was up on top, and uh, the sugar beet train goes through, and, uh, you know, no, no signaling from Ralph, so... Tennant says he looked up expecting Shaw to be uh, climbing down the ladder from the tower. And uh, no Ralph, he can't find him. <laughs> and he thought, oh my God, he he fell off and he got ground up and he started looking around, you know, for him on the ground. And uh, all of a sudden, his, uh, Ralph calls him on the radio. And he says, I got three up in the yards here. Come and get me and pick me up. And what had happened was he saw three wets in a in a beat car, and he knew that he knew that Shaw couldn't climb up on that car by himself. Yeah. So he just jumped from the tower into the beat train. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the stuff he kind of he always did. Uh, another thing that he did was when the trains come into the yard, like I said, they'd slow down to about fifteen miles an hour. Then they have to go through the switches. Yeah. And uh, when they were going through the switches, they kind of get the rocking side to side, you know. And uh, when you were Ralph's partner, he'd get on the train when it slowed down there, and he'd go to get up on top of the boxcars, and he'd walk along, and he'd kind of lean over and look in the boxcar. And if he saw somebody in there, he would just swing over the side and jump into the car, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like he was Superman. <laughs> and uh, the rest of us, we had to work it from the ground. I mean, you had to, you had to clamber up, and, and then, you know, a boxcar is about five foot off the ground. You gotta, you gotta swing up into the boxcar to get up in there, and 
you know, sometimes you found bums, and sometimes you found wets, but, uh, you know, Ralph's way was a lot faster, we all thought, but, uh, then again, we didn't have anything but time, and, yeah. and to be fair to Ralph, Ralph always told uh, his new partners, don't, don't try to do what I do, work safely, you know, he, and he insisted that you work safely, and what he did was, uh, you know, he was just kind of that kind of an athlete that he could do that stuff. So I got one more, one more little story about Ralph. All right. Like I say, Ralph was about 35 years old, and he was completely bald. And uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't that he shaved his head. I mean, nobody was doing that back in those days. <clears throat> he was just bald, and he was touchy about it. And uh, <laughs> so one morning. We had a station full of wets, and we're all in there processing. And one of the uh, one of the PIs yells out, "Hey Shaw, <clears throat> do you have any uh, do you have any relatives in Mexico?" And uh, so Ralph says, uh, "No, I don't think so. No, why?" So the, the, this this uh, PI he tells the uh, the Mexican to stand up. And keep the Seisu sombrero. Take off your hat, you know. Yeah. And he was completely bald himself. And <laughs> and everybody started laughing. And Ralph got pissed and stomped out of the office, you know. <laughs> yeah. Even even the wet was laughing, you know. And I don't think I'd ever seen another uh, bald Mexican before. <laughs> This was part one of episode 17, our interview with retired patrol agent in charge, Dick Maurer. Don't miss the second half of this broad podcast. I'd like to invite you to listen to the Gary Brugman podcast, a brother in green and a guy who inspired me to start doing the Old Patrol podcast. He has a truly entertaining show. He's up to episode, I don't know, 1500 or something like that. But he's got some great guests like David Bray. And recently he he had Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman on there. Don't miss it. And if you're a mind to, go to Apple Podcasts and give us both a five-star rating and a great review. Like my friend says, it's vanity, it's insanity, but oh, the humanity. We need it to climb up the corporate food chain. Now go listen to the rest of Dick Maurer's great story. Honor first, honor always.